This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Harry's.com. Are you looking for the perfect holiday gift for that special guy in your life? Well, go to Harry's.com right now to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last. And don't forget to enter code FILMCAST at checkout for $5 off. That's Harry's.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use promo code FILMCAST for $5 off at checkout. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Spencer Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We have a real special treat in store for you guys today. Firstly, we're going to start off with a brief Slash Film Court, uh, and then move on into what we've been watching. Then we have two full-length reviews, both with non-spoiler and spoiler sections. We're going to do Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the new film set in the Harry Potter universe, and then a review of Park Chan-wook's newest film, The Handmaiden, featuring uh, editor from SlashFilm.com, Angie Han. So that's well, she's not in the movie. It sounds like she's featured in the movie, Dave. <laughs> no, the, like the review of The Handmaiden <laughs> features The Angie Handmaiden Han. featuring Angie Han. That's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's what we got in store for you today on uh, the Slash Filmcast. But before any of that, we have something we want to talk about. Uh, the response to our podcast last week was pretty overwhelming. I think uh, a couple of things I just want to point out. Firstly, I don't think we've gotten more email uh, for a specific week's podcast than we did in the past right. week. Right. So yeah. it was probably from a, from a pure volume of email uh, level, it was overwhelming, the uh, amount of response. And I would say... 80 to 90% of it was positive and very encouraging. And so we really appreciate that. Uh, all of those people who wrote in uh, who had either something encouraging or constructive to say, thanks so much, guys. Uh, that yeah, means truly. Thank yeah. you, guys. It really means a lot to all of us. Um, it just just to have that kind of an audience for the show is a very special thing that we all really value. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think... Uh, also, it was one of our – the last two episodes of the Slash Filmcast have been amongst our most downloaded episodes ever. Uh, so it is something that has apparently resonated with people. Now, I, I don't think you know our podcast is going to turn into uh, like weekly politics all the time. I, that's not going to happen. I don't think that's why people listen to this podcast. Uh, but I, I think just it was important for me personally at least to – talk in depth about a lot of the concerns that we have. Uh, I think a lot of podcasts I listen to, a lot of podcasts I listen to, and, and I don't mean, you know, and, and Jeff, <laughs> do, do not take this the wrong way because I know you do, you know, you do many podcasts, but they just, uh, they didn't dive into it and like vent and, right. and go into it in a, in a big in-depth way. And, uh, and there's value in not doing those things. You know, that people want to just feel like business as usual, uh, but just it felt wrong for for me and for us to do it that way on this podcast, at least. Um, yeah. So uh, so anyway, I'm really glad that we did, and I, I value your you guys. And I value your opinions, and I'm really proud of that discussion that we had, and and even more proud reading the feedback from people that agree with us and disagree with us that. It felt to, to at least the vast majority of people that we heard from to be a constructive discussion and, and a valuable one. So Yeah. So thanks a lot uh, and just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, but all that being said, the show must go on. So let's just do the Slash Film Court right now because I think uh, we're going to be able to cover off on this 
pretty quickly. For those who don't know, the Slash Film Court is a mostly weekly segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. This one comes in from Michael, who writes into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I'd like to approach the bench of the Slash Film Court to face judgment on a matter over which I have felt guilt for some time. I love to consume large amounts of film and television and want to stay on top of what's being discussed in the Slash Filmcast, but seemingly have less time in which to do so. This is compounded by the fact that, as well as movies, you also discuss lengthy series such as Luke Cage, Black Mirror, or The People vs. OJ. So rather than having to spend 12 hours getting through the latest must-see show before listening to the corresponding Slash Filmcast, I double the speed of playback to stay on top of what you're all watching as well as saving valuable time. How dare you. I should say that I, sh- I also listen to the Slash Filmcast at double speed to keep up with your show as well as dozens of other podcasts to which I subscribe. I can already hear Devinder declaring, this guy is a monster. <laughs> I should say that I still regularly go to the theater to see movies as they were intended and watch shows with my partner at normal speed such as Stranger Things. But in this increasingly content-rich uh, time – But in this increasingly content-rich, time-poor world, I wonder how much of a crime against culture I'm committing by speeding through these shows. Jeff Kanata, what say you about watching TV shows and listening to podcasts at two times speed? Oh, man. Well, Dave, I have very strong opinion. See, that's what I do to the people. Now now he's going to hear what I'm saying normally. <laughs> that was um, creepy, Jeff. You just, yeah. you just creeped him out because it's not, it's not a normal to him. Uh, I, I, I think we've talked about this before on the show. I am yeah, yeah. vehemently opposed to we talked about it because there was some cable service. Oh no no no! The new TiVo box right was going to allow you watch shows at at yeah. uh, twice mm-hmm. the speed. Yeah, it offends me when people listen to our content at double speed. But at least our content is just us talking, and it <laughs> it doesn't necessarily require timing. <laughs> I mean, I I try to you know if there's a joke or a quip, I think having the right timing makes a difference, but. It pales in comparison to watching a film or a television show at faster than normal speed. That's a Travis Shamockery, and I condemn this 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 author uh, in the strongest possible terms. All right, Devinder Hardwar, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. We did have this discussion around podcasts. Honestly, I can't even do that either because I just I can't absorb the information, you know. And when it comes to actual uh, other media like TV and movies, I. T- there's it's, you need that delay you need the pause sometimes to really soak things in and fast wording it isn't helping you see it better it's just helping you you know i, I feel like you're not even actually watching it yeah you're consuming it and you're not actually not actually like maybe absorbing it or working letting it work on you on you in a creative way so yeah this is bad this is bad it cheapens everything it It does it cheapens all your entertainment and i understand we have this wonderful wealth this uh, this uh, abundance of riches of great stuff to consume Mm -hmm. but guy you know Mm -hmm. what it it all deserves its own time and if you have too much to consume just slow down and let it happen it's okay the secret is you don't have to watch everything even though it sounds like we do watch everything on the show i think between us all we end up seeing a lot, but 
you know, I, I also pick and choose. People are trying to get me into uh, Designated Survivor in other shows, and I saw a bit of that. But that's also a show I saw one episode. I'm like, nope, I'm not gonna. I cannot devote time to that show because there are clearly much more important things for right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think listening to podcasts or watching a TV show is not just about consuming the information, uh, and it, it's it's not just even about letting things soak in. It's it's the holistic experience of hearing the cadence of people's voices and hearing all the ums and awkward pauses and hearing you know what people sound like naturally that I feel is an essential part of the experience. So uh, we find you guilty. Michael, of bastardizing the work that you're consuming, uh, and our punishment and you are, is... Yeah. <laughs> you're not allowed to touch the double speed button on your yeah. p- iPod ever again. But and I th- go back and rewatch some of the things you double speeded <laughs> through and realize how much you missed. Go back like, and rewatch this. I think, I think it's also that... Uh, it, I think we all think, the three of us think, that it is worth it to watch fewer things at normal speed than more things yes. at double speed. Yes. Right? Agreed. You might as well live life to the fullest than, uh, and, and enjoy less of it. Than, live life uh, at normal speed, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like – think of it like eating meals. You know, uh, okay, I can have a thousand meals in my life uh, right. that are normal and amazing and delicious. Or I can have 2,000 meals if I shove it into my mouth at twice the speed. Right. That's exactly that's, that's a great analogy. Yeah. It you're turning everything into junk food. You're turning yeah. all of the great delicious to be savored stuff into garbage. My yep. favorite meals by the way are the ones that take like 2 to 3 hours, you know. Um that you, you get to sit there, you got to absorb it. You have to enjoy the experience. And I do feel like we're losing that as we're trying to like tick off all these things on our to watch lists or something. By the way, this is all also applicable to uh, I'm watching a series on on TV, but also on my iPad do, playing a video game or whatever. I, I think that yes. is also yes. a a culprit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the Slash Film Court. It's the segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. If you'd like to submit your dilemma for consideration, just email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com, where you can also email us about uh, any topic that you'd like. Uh, All right, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, I watched four movies in the last week, and uh, it's that time of year, actually, where the movie screenings are piling up. Uh, There's a lot of movies we want to cram in before we get to our top ten end-of-the-year lists. And the best so, of the best. Yeah. So, you gotta, you gotta uh, watch them at double speed, Dave. That's yeah. So, I've been watching a lot of movies, uh, and a lot of them are movies that I'm hoping will be on my top 10 because, you know, I'm rapidly rejiggering that list as, as time goes mm-hmm. on. Uh, and I, yeah, I saw a bunch of movies this week that I don't think any of them are going to crack the top 10, but they came really, really close. One of them is Nocturnal Animals, the new film by uh, director Tom Ford. Have you guys heard of this movie? I think it has a really effective trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie is, like I said, written and directed by Tom Ford, uh, who created uh, The Single Man, that movie, uh, which was well-regarded when it came out a few years ago. Uh, Plotline of Nocturnal Animals, according to IMDb, is an art gallery owner is haunted by her ex-husband's novel, a violent thriller she interprets as a veiled threat and a symbolic revenge tale. Uh, I think this movie is really haunting. It's, it's actually... Uh, a movie that stayed with me long after I saw it. I actually wrote up a piece about the film's ending. Uh, you can find it at SlashFilm.com because uh, it has a really interesting ending that le- left me thinking and left me wondering you know, what the implications were. Uh, and 
Yeah, I, I just think basically what's going on in this movie is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams play characters that used to be married, and Jake Gyllenhaal writes this novel uh, and sends it to Amy Adams, and then you see uh, the movie, you see the novel play out in movie form, and the and the the movie version of the novel. Uh, also stars Jake Gyllenhaal. If that sounds confusing, it kind of, you know, the movie cuts back and forth between what's fiction and what's real, and it cuts back and forth between different time periods, uh, and it, so it's kind of mind-bending that way. But I, I, I thought the, the level of execution uh, in this film, particularly of the uh, novel as film, is really exceptional. It's very Hitchcockian in terms of how uh, thrilling and how gut-wrenching it is. And uh, I highly recommend this movie. So uh, that's Nocturnal Animals, written and directed by Tom Ford. Uh, I was a big fan. And, uh, yeah, one of those movies that's not only beautiful, but uh, a lot of the ideas just left me kind of still stewing on it uh, days, if not weeks, after I saw it. So uh, Nocturnal Animals, check it out. It's in theaters right now. Wanted to give a quick shout-out to a couple films I saw this week as well. Uh, Manchester by the Sea, the newest film by Kenneth Lonergan. It created quite a stir when it debuted at Sundance this last year. I really enjoyed this film. It's pretty good. It's actually probably like a great film. Casey Affleck delivers a powerhouse performance in this movie. Uh, I'm not even going to say what the plot is because you know I don't want to spoil anything, but it's definitely worth checking out. I think it's barely going to miss my top ten of the year. Uh, I thought it was you know like a, a pretty well done, but it's just not a story that I personally connected with that deeply even though it does uh hail from new england which is where i grew up that, that is your area dave Come yeah on. yeah yeah um i don't know for some reason it didn't leave you know it's very funny like, uh-huh. there's a surprising amount of humor in it um to go in with the tragedy uh but yeah i mean i saw manchester by the sea and la la land on the same day Man. and i was more heartbroken and moved uh, and just affected by La La Land than I was by Manchester by the Sea. Which did you see first? I saw Manchester first. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so on that note, I also saw La La Land, the new new state Damien Giselle film. Not going to say too much about that, except Ugh. I really love this movie, and uh, it's very powerful. And uh, Jeff, I think you saw it as well, right? I did. Yeah, I did see La La Land. Um, and I knew we'll, we'll this t- would impact you on a deep level. Did it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Man. Oh, boy. You have no idea. Can, can you guys tell me, does it at least prove that uh, Chazelle is a genius again? Yeah. Because, man, yeah. I, here's I what I'll say. Here's movie. what I'll say, though. Here's what I'll say. I really love this movie, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I like it better than Whiplash. Ooh. Um, okay. It's, it's a very different, very, very yeah. different movie. Uh, yeah. And it's what it's trying to do is very different. It's, it's almost a little fluffier. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I mean, I, it's anything I say is going to be, uh, and, and the last like 15 minutes of the movie is, is everything. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's rough. It was a rough, it was a rough movie for me because it's, 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 so much about my life (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh, it's quite something it's quite something Uh, I'm very excited to talk about it in detail with you guys yeah so we will be reviewing that movie on the slash later on the word I think that defines that movie more than anything else is charming it is a charming film I agree and yeah uh, I mean Davindra uh, I think it's already been proven Damien Chazelle is a genius so 
I just uh, I just want to know is this, is it still the case with this movie? Uh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. Uh, I I like I said I don't know that it's his best film, but mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. definitely left an impression on me, and uh, I, I think I'm very curious how this is going to do. I'm very mm-hmm. curious because I could see this being a big hit. Right. But I could also see this uh, not doing super well. Uh, so, because it is a it is a format of movie that's right. dying. It's very know? old fashioned. It seems it is yeah. intentionally old fashioned. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's a love letter to uh, old, old school, Hollywood. Yeah, old school mm-hmm. Hollywood musicals and old school Hollywood. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into it with you guys because there's so much to discuss there. But uh, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Nocturnal Animals. Saw those three films this week. Yeah, uh, they were all great, and what all worth considering. What speed did you watch them in, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I watched them at normal speed. Uh, mm. I, but I, other than La La Land, I don't know that Manchester and Nocturnal Animals are going to crack my uh, crack my top ten. Really? So, yeah. So we'll see. Um, but that's what I've been watching. Devendra, you saw the new Paul Verhoeven film this week, right? I did. Yeah, I saw L. This is the film starring uh, uh, Isabelle Huppert, and uh, this movie is fucked up. <laughs> you guys, this movie is supremely <laughs> fucked up in a in a great way and in a fascinating way. I'm not sure if you've heard much about it, uh, but uh, it, it starts the opening scene is it, it is a sexual assault, and it's like the after immediate aftermath of that too, and everything that Isabel Huber's uh, character has to deal with. Um, it's about finding out who did this to her, but also just her living her life uh her response to this is just fascinating so i'm uh, let me just say this up front i'm not a fan of films that use uh sexual assault as like main plot points especially when they're gratuitous and uh just like maybe undeserved um that's not the case here uh there's definitely you know there's this the movie opens with that scene and it's even revisited a couple times but it does serve a point and in, in a weird way it's making a statement about um I don't know about trauma and how different people get through with trauma. And it's a fitting movie to watch today too, because uh, Isabel Huber's character is, she's a video game executive. She is a CEO and her life. She is just surrounded by useless men, men that, <laughs> you know, undermine her, the men who seem to hate her at work. Like the guys who just don't, they think they're so smart, but she's the one in charge and they just can't deal with it. Um, you, like a feckless ex husband. Um, you know, she has lovers all over the place. Guys that kind of love her but kind of hate her at the same time. So a lot of the movie is spent trying to figure out, like, who could have done this to her? But at the same time, her response to it is completely nonchalant, too. Like, there is no – she's not, like, rushing to call the police or anything. She just kind of gets on with her life. And I've been thinking about this movie for a while because it does seem like a statement on, like, you know, how how do you get through an assault like that? How do you deal with that? And how people may have different ways of going about it. Um in a way, it does kind of remind me of uh, The Handmaiden that we'll be talking about later in terms of you know how a woman deals with men abusing her, uh, abusing them in their lives and how you get through that. Um, and having a, a male director, especially one like Verhoeven, who I love and I love the subtext and like how smart he is in his films, but he's very much a masculine director too, right? When we talk about the male gaze, I think Verhoeven has some like, yeah. Very, very male gaze, I guess, especially coming from films like Showgirls or even Starship Troopers. So a fascinating film. Um, it's set in France and it's it's also it's kind of a black comedy, too, because it's making fun of like the French 
upper, not quite upper class, maybe the upper middle class or something. And just making fun of like their culture of being overly mannerly and uh, of not quite knowing how to talk about a situation like this too. So fascinating film, definitely worth watching. Just be prepared. Like it is, it's really funny. It's really fascinating, but it's also like an assault on your senses and like what you, you know, what you're watching. Cause you, you know, what is, what it is going to be when you go into it. Um, just be prepared for it. But man, Verhoeven, he is, he is still got it. That's L, the newest film by Paul Verhoeven, and it sounds like, yeah, it's worth checking out. I was it is, really yeah. looking forward to it, so uh, I'm going to try and check that out. Is it going to be in your top ten of the year, Devinger, do you think? I, it may be, because it is, it's a fascinating film. I've, you know, I haven't seen a thriller like this. It is, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's L. Uh, anything else you've been watching, Devinger? I did finish up Channel Zero, the uh, sci-fi channel TV show uh, created by Nick, uh, Nick Antosca. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I just want to say it is worth watching, guys. It's only six episodes. It is genuinely creepy. It's based on some of the creepy pastas that were floating around Reddit and other sites a couple of years ago. And they also announced plans to do another series next year. So it's still going. Um, and Man, just like if you've ever watched children's TV shows and just wondered like what the dark, sinister, underlying nature of all of it was, uh, like really, what was going on with the Muppet Babies guys, right? Like what was <laughs> up with the adults in that show? What? Who just leaves these kids alone? I ask myself what's going on with the Muppet Babies every exactly, single day. exactly, so, or yeah. the Rugrats. Like how how fucked up was the Rugrats? You know, <laughs> that show was really messed up too. Uh, if you ask yourself that those kind of questions, this is going to be a fascinating show to watch, especially if you grew up watching some of those shows. It features some of the creepiest kids. I've like I I'm a big fan of creepy kids and horror movies too, and th- this show goes places. It's really messed up. All right. Well, that's Channel Zero, and sounds like it uh, was still good through the finale. So it's worth. Yeah. It's. I'm glad it's only six episodes because it does feel like it could go overboard if they went too much longer. Cool. And uh, it was airing on Sci-Fi, the yeah. Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Jeff Kanata, you saw one other thing, right? That you want to just mention? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it more at length. I think uh, coming up in in future weeks. But um, I did get a chance to see Moana, and it is one of the best Disney animated films of all time. It is uh, absolutely unmissable. You you must see it if you are a fan of animation in any form. I think it is better than all but a handful of Pixar films. I think it is proof that Disney Animation Studios under Lasseter is reaching new heights. And uh, I just absolutely adored it. All right. Well, that's Moana. And uh, we will be discussing that in a future week uh, on the Slash Filmcast. You know, Jeff... When you watch a really good movie like Moana, mm-hmm. it can feel like it's a gift from the heavens. You know? That's very true. It can, it's very, very true. It does feel like a gift from the heavens, Dave. You, you know what else is a great gift, Jeff? From the heavens? Uh, no, just in general. Oh. Is no. uh, Harry's.com uh, <laughs> and their winter shave set. I was uh, really uh, thinking you were going for a more, more sophisticated transition there, Dave. Nope. <laughs> I wasn't. Well, Jeff, how would you have done the transition? You tell me. Uh, you're, you're a master of transitions. Let's you, you do one. I would have I would have incorporated some sort of beard to the uh, mm. to the equation. Some uh, sort of uh, like God. You'd anthropomorphize yeah. God in some way. Sure, of course. You get a beard, <laughs> a gift from the heavens. Maybe you need to gift the heavens something, mm. Dave. Mm. 
Maybe uh, I see. To, All right. Maybe you need to give back to the, your bearded guy. Well, if you okay, that takes it a little too far. Either way, uh, <laughs> one really awesome way of uh, giving a great gift is uh, going to Harry's.com right now. Uh, they have a limited edition set and a special offer, uh, which consists of. A midnight blue chrome razor handle, three of Harry's German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shave gel that smells amazing uh, in a beautifully designed gift box. Now, I have actually received this gift box, and the box looks incredible, and uh, it has a lot of practical stuff that will help you get a close and comfortable shave. Uh, and all you got to do is go to harrys.com right now to get that limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last and our promo code filmcast at checkout for five dollars off did you guys get one of these sets right yeah yeah, yeah. what'd you think of it schmancy they really do feel like gifts uh which is great because that's what we're looking for at this time uh i i, I told my my i don't want to reveal anything if my family members are listening but there may be some family members getting these as gifts i'm just saying yeah yeah devendra you're a fan as well yeah, they work pretty well. I, you know, I've used other razors, and these feel just as good to me. And uh, I love the set. The handle feels fantastic in your hands. Finding the right gift for that guy in your life can be real much of a challenge. But most guys uh, need to cut hair off their face. And if you uh, <laughs> have a guy who has that issue... Then, I like how eloquent we are being. I know. Right I'm being incredibly yeah. eloquent. Then the Harry's uh, winter... Shave set is uh, a really great deal, and uh, any guy in your your life would probably appreciate it. So, again, free shipping ends on December 9th. Act now. Go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com right now to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last. And don't forget to enter code FILMCAST at checkout for $5 off. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Promo code FILMCAST to get $5 off. That is a limited-time offer that we hope you will take Harry's up on. Now, in addition to Harry's, I will say that I think we got more donations from listeners in the last week than uh, any other week in Slash Filmcast history. Thank Uh, you. A lot of people were just responding to uh, our episode last week, so we got to thank all the people that donated. Devin C., who said he's a Kanata zombie from way back. Nice, Devin. Um, Brian from Bel Air, Kansas. Ryan H. from Louisville, Kentucky. Leslie H. from Australia. Rudy Amaya. Valentina from Germany, all giving massive donations. Richard C., Andy T. from Guilford, Connecticut. Mark Baker. Raymond in Hayward, California. Iker Maruri, Stephen from the spoilerwarning.com, William D. Jong, and Jonathan C. from Seattle, Washington, my stomping grounds. Thanks so much for your very generous donations this week. Thanks also to Yamil Narvaez, Jonathan Pop, James Wright, Joseph Janka, Darren Evanchuk, Stephen Benjamin, Scott Bordelon, Howard Robinson, Kyler Joffrey, Chitan Mehta, and John Edmondson. Wow, so many names, so many people who donated to Slash Filmcast. If you want to support what we do here, SlashFilm.com, go to the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page to help us defray the cost of seeing films and putting on the show. We really appreciate it. It really uh, does help, guys. And I, I know that I really uh, recognize uh, several of those names from tweets that I got from people as well. And, you know, it, 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 it really helps us. It's awesome. And I can't tell you how much we all appreciate uh, that support for for making the show. Yeah. Um, so all that being said, let's dive into our review of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York. Yes. 
Where is this man? So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? Use travels first. Mr. Scrander, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? We don't let things loose. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. You wiped his memory, right? The no magic. The what? No magic. The non-wizard. Sorry, we call them muggles. I don't think I'm dreaming. I'll give it away. I ain't got the brains to make this up. That was from the trailer of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The newest film written by J.K. Rowling, directed by David Yates. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The adventures of writer Newt Scamander in New York's secret community of witches and wizards 70 years before Harry Potter reads his book in school. This film stars Eddie Redmayne, uh, Colin Farrell, Samantha Morton, and Catherine Waterston in a role that was like unrecognizable to me because I think Seriously. the last thing I'd seen her in was uh, she was both Steve Jobs' wife in the film Steve Jobs and also Shasta Faye yep. in Inherent Vice. Yep. So anyway. She's uh, going places. Very now. talented woman, and uh, she was in this movie as well. Uh, Devendra, I'm going to start with you because uh-huh. I have a feeling you're going you're gonna uh, to be, be the, only you're gonna be the sugar uh, on this uh, shit sandwich that, that <laughs> lis- listeners so, are about to eat. context here, I do think David Chen hates everything from the Harry Potter universe at this point. But D- Devendra is going to try to de- delegitimize my <laughs> negative review of this film. Right but, you know, um, uh, yeah. I-, I trust listeners will be able to discern uh, who's telling the truth of this one. Anyway, yes. continue. Uh, I-, I didn't have much expectations for this film going into it uh, i just thought we should review it because uh you know harry potter universe it's kind of a big deal It'll probably be a big film and uh some of the trailers and stuff looked interesting i think uh i really enjoyed it and more than i thought i would uh mostly because i i guess i was never super attached to the harry potter universe or those the kids in particular and this feels in a way like a fresh start um there is some stuff that they keep uh referencing that you know it, it ties into the greater mythology uh but i liked uh you know these characters uh this is a weird movie because it's very big it's very long too and definitely towards the middle um i feel like they could have just cut some of that out but it's a weird film because it's a big spectacle that takes its time to actually you know give us a sense of the characters and i don't know let's let us spend time in this world uh, I also, it, it's a film where you can actually sit back and really feel like you're watching something that's not set in this world. I think the special effects and the, what they're able to do now is just incredible. So like in a visual sense, like it's a movie I just enjoyed watching. It has a lot of plot issues. And I'm sure we'll get into those. And uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. But what I think is this movie does some really cool stuff, especially around the villain uh, there's some motivational work there, like uh, what's driving some of the key villains that I think is really interesting and shows like it's trying to think a little harder about uh, these sorts of characters. And yeah, I like Newt. I loved Eddie Redmayne in this. I love Samantha Morton and Catherine Watterson and uh, and Colin Farrell, too. I love uh, kind of nefarious Colin Farrell, as you guys would know. I think if this movie were maybe... What is it? It's like about two hours long right now. Uh, two hours but, and 15 minutes. Yeah. And some. Yeah. If it lost maybe about 20 minutes or so, 
and just tightened up a little. It would have been a little better. It kind of references some plots uh, that don't quite, that don't really work. There's like a love interest that is kind of in the background that I don't even know why they introduced it in this movie. There, um, there's, two, was, there's two romantic yes. subplots, both yes. of which are terrible. Like, the, n- neither of them that. is believable in the slightest. In I don't opinion. know about that. I also want to say shout-out to Dan Fogler, who's like a uh, – yeah, he's a character actor. He's been a bunch of things recently. Uh, but I always like him, and I think uh, it's strange that they picked him for such a big movie like this because he's normally in much smaller things. Uh, but I liked uh, what he did here. Like, he's the one human trying to deal – uh, trying to survive in this crazy yeah. world of magic. You might recognize him from Balls of Fury. Balls of Fury. It's about the ping pong. It's like his one starring role, I yeah. think. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he plays Kowalski in this movie. He's kind of an audience surrogate in this film. Yeah, he is. Uh, but, uh, He's also in, uh, what was the, the Star, Star Wars movie where they go Fanboys. Fanboys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, Devinger's a big fan. Um, and yeah, I should mention I that really I think... I really liked it more than I thought I would. Let me let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I should say that uh, I think uh, it has 76% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, so uh, Devinder is in the majority of people who seem to appreciate this film. Uh, Jeff Kanata, let me ask you, you know, before you <laughs> talk about your thoughts on this movie, like, were you a fan of the other Harry Potter films? Are you a fan of the books? Well, What's this, your... is, interestingly, is the first Harry Potter experience I've ever had in the cinema that I hadn't already read the book. Yeah, so that's a kind of an interesting. Thing. Also, there was no uh, book for this. I mean, Correct. there was a book called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, but right. I don't believe it's it was. Yeah, it's not the plot of this film. That it's just kind of like an encyclopedia, right? Correct. Sure. So, uh, so this is the first Harry Potter film where you didn't know what the plot would be. You know right. what's going to happen, right? But it sounds They're like you're a, fan, you're a fan of the books. You're and you're a fan of the films, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I always. Um, I, I enjoyed reading the books. I enjoyed watching the movies. I I definitely could see the flaws for what they were in in the in the books and the films. And I was always I, I think um, J.K. Rowling is just a genius at world building, and is for sure yeah pretty yeah. mediocre at plotting. I think her, <laughs> I think her plots are uh, unfortunately not 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 always very strong. And I think the the Harry Potter books are up and down and therefore the movies are up and down as well. Um, but just the joy of the Harry Potter universe is in all of the wonderful details, all of the little, little interesting rules and characters mm-hmm. and uh, mechanisms of magic and traditions of magic and how that world fits together. And she is so wonderful at creating whimsy you know she she's a master of creating whimsy and yeah the, yeah i really felt that watching this yeah well the the prospect of this <laughs> in mm-hmm. in expanding that universe into you know get to see america like the last i don't know what was it, the, the fifth hotter book that we get to see like the international olympics of magic where like all the different magic schools from all over the world come together and it was like oh wow there's like this broader universe of magic that's beyond just the uk that's really kind of cool and here it's like oh we're going to come to america and we're going to see how american magicians work and ooh, they don't call muggles muggles they call them no mages which is pretty terrible substitute but okay it's fine at least there's an <laughs> interesting like broadening of the of the world and, well you know but, americans make everything worse <laughs> it's true yeah. it's like it's kind of on the nose americans <laughs> no madge okay whatever um, I did like Makusa. That sounds like a cool name. It, it sounds yeah. very evil, kind of. Uh, yeah. So I, I appreciated that uh, abbreviation. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the the idea of like you know 
jumping back and seeing a character who is is prominent in the lore, uh, like seeing how he came to be, and and really focusing, you know, the the Harry Potter films are all about learning magic and magical creatures sort of take a sideshow and saying, Oh, well, no, this is going to focus on the actual creatures of it. Right. That's all. All of that had me very excited. Unfortunately, the truth is this is the phantom menace of Harry Potter. <laughs> yep. Movies. Yep. It, it, it is. Uh, I think, um, you know, lo- I apologize for quoting Max Landis, but Max Landis had a tweet this morning that I thought was actually, um, uh, pretty on the nose. He said, uh, if you're hurting for that Harry Potter crack, Fantastic Beast still contains trace amounts of what you're looking for. And, and I think that really hits it on the nose. <laughs> it, it, it is enough of what she does well that a lot of people are con- going to convince themselves that it's good. And as the years go by, much like I convinced myself episode one was good when I first saw it, as the years go by, you're going to realize how bad this movie is. Uh, because... I, in my opinion, it is very bad. Um, there are there is some fun uh, magical creatures. There is some fun whimsy. There is some fun uh, new information about the world. But that, to me, is vastly uh, overshadowed by really banal, uninteresting characters. Um, a plot that it is just dumb and. Is, all of the problems are created by our main character for no reason. Um, <laughs> a darkness and sort of mean spiritedness that that runs through the movie that I think is just unnecessary and and really a shame for people that want to bring their kids to this film. You, you know, uh, Jeff, you just said all the problems are created by the main character. It reminds me of Suicide Squad, which yes. is another equally coherent film where the uh, main characters in that film created the problem that they are trying to solve. Yes. Um, it's, it's just not super satisfying from a narrative perspective. But anyway, sorry to interrupt, Jeff. No, it's, I, I think you make a, a solid point. I, 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 um, I really, really vehemently dislike this movie. And it, it, it's um, more about how disappointing it is in the sense that this is supposed to be starting an entire um, – you know, an entire nine, whatever, however many five movies, movies guys. Five I'm movies. excited about that. Like, that's another discussion. <laughs> I like what Eddie Redmayne is doing. He, yes, creating a very interesting, bizarre character. I mean, he's infusing. He like puts this guy squarely on the spectrum, <laughs> which is it's an odd choice, but it really worked for me. Every single other person in this movie is completely disposable, <laughs> utterly uninteresting and disposable, and not distinct. Um, there, the everything that's wonderful and magical, frankly, about the Harry Potter experience is that you you get a look behind the curtain of you know you get your Narnia, you get your um, Wizard of Oz, you get the the thing beyond the looking glass that has been there the whole time, and uh, we're brought into that world from somebody that's lived in the real world. If the Harry Potter movies never existed and this was the first of them. It's completely incoherent. Like it makes – it is – we have no reason for any of this to be happening. Like it, the central quest of our main character doesn't make any sense. It, it is – it's really poorly made in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said, Jeff. The one thing I disagree with is uh, I actually thought Dan Fogler's portrayal of Kowalski was pretty interesting. He's great. And I think this movie would have been 50% better if he was the main character. And we were kind of let into this whole world through his perspective. Instead, I I disagree. I thought Eddie Redmayne is terrible in this film. He (laughs) is doing 
Uh, he's not quite as bad as he was in Jupiter Ascending, but he seems to be doing a parody of <laughs> Hugh Grant's average performance in the sense that he's so <laughs> oh, uh, kind of nebbish. Or you know, I, I kind think of... your statement about Jupiter Ascending shows that uh, Dave, you are not capable of judging Eddie Redmayne's performances. Uh, <laughs> like okay. that was a brilliant performance, David. Chen. <laughs> And I want to hear other ones. <laughs> All right. That's fair enough, Dimitri. Uh, look, he's, a, he's a young Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah that's very, very good. good. So I think, uh, you, you know, even though I disagree with Devendra that I don't have uh, the ability to fairly evaluate this film, I will just say it's good for people to know who are listening that yes. I, d- I haven't read any of the Harry Potter books and I've only seen the films. And mm-hmm. um, I did not like those films very much because – I thought that they were films that are very kind of thin adaptations that aren't super satisfying if you haven't read the books. You know, Even that it's just, it feels like you're, yeah, maybe, like, you know, Azkaban was solid, but it's, it just, movie. it feels like yeah. books that are just hitting all these story beats and these big right, moments right. Um, that don't have any regard for, you know, the common three act structure of a film because they're just, they're plowing through these books, compressing as much stuff as quickly as possible. So, uh, I did not like those films very much, but hey, here's a film, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that's not based on any book. They have a lot of freedom here. They can do whatever they want. And it's a story that people don't actually know the ending to. Uh, so I actually, you know, got myself psyched up to see this. I said, well, hey. We kind of know we, where some of it ends, right? Sure. It's based sure. on the mythology. Yeah. 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 You kind of, but, uh, but hey, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they'll carve out a new way. And uh-huh. I found this film to, like, some people were saying, oh, J.K. Rowling, I think this is the first one that she's a screenwriter for, right? Uh, yeah. And they're saying, oh, it's clear, it's clear that she's doing screenwriting for the first time. She doesn't know how to put together a movie. Uh, I found this movie to be equally narratively satisfying <laughs> as the other Harry Potter films, which is to say not that much. Uh, yeah. And I think it suffers from uh, – one thing that I don't think we talked about too much is that it suffers from a lot of the problems that we see in franchise filmmaking today. All these references – it actually reminds me, Jeff, You know, hearing you talk about it. It reminds me of this time where uh, someone asked me. They had never seen any of the Star Wars films. One of my friends from high school said, hey, can I watch Phantom Menace without seeing any of the Star Wars films? And I thought, oh, well, of course it is a prequel. Of course all that stuff happens before. So, yeah, it's totally going to all make sense. So we go to see it, and I realized that movie is completely incomprehensible if you haven't seen the, the uh, <laughs> episodes 4, 5, and 6. All sure. these concepts and characters that are introduced then – they have no significance to anyone who's just starting with episode one. And I think that's true here as well. Maybe not quite as extreme, but it's still true that uh, without the context of the Harry Potter universe and books, this movie does not stand on its own. And I think there's very little narrative momentum and also that there is uh, a lot of time spent on franchise building. Uh, As a result, the ending feels... Very unsatisfying. Uh, and <laughs> Let's talk about that in spoilers. Yeah, yeah. so we'll get sure. to that in spoilers. Yeah. But just, you know, I, I really did not like this movie. And I think uh, I saw this movie with my significant other who is a huge fan of the Harry Potter books and likes the films. Mm-hmm. And we were both exhausted at the end of it. And I think, <laughs> you know, she, she, she gave me this quote about how there's some art that you, you can measure art by how much energy it gives or takes away. From you, and you know, for instance, like you look at a Jackson Pollock painting, and maybe you don't understand it, but you look at it and you you think to yourself, "Man, that makes me feel alive inside." You know, like I, I'm I'm getting energy just looking at this thing. And you watch Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and 
boy, does it take a lot out of you. It just – you feel completely drained at the end you're of saying, that movie. You're basically saying Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is the anti-Jackson Pollock. <laughs> that is exactly correct. It is in a many, vampire many ways. of creativity. <laughs> it's a soul. vampire of creativity. I, it just – it takes – yeah, it, it, was a, it was a huge act of energy expen- uh, expenditure to watch this film. And um, – Sitting there, yes, yeah, sit, no, just sitting there and watching it, taking it in was was huge drain. And there's uh, a lot to take in for sure. Like, <laughs> they throw a lot at you. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, those are my thoughts. Uh, any other uh, thoughts before we dive into spoilers? I, I guess quickly, I do want to. I I can see <laughs> calling it the Phantom Menace, but the thing is, guys, like I've tried to rewatch the Phantom Menace. I I also liked it in the theaters at first. And then I tried to rewatch that movie, and it's just like impossible. Like it is impenetrable. Like the dialogue is terrible. Most like aside from like Ewan McGregor and uh, uh, what's his face uh, Liam Neeson. Like uh, most of the acting is terrible. Like there's very little to latch onto. I think there's more in this movie, and it's definitely um, yeah, it definitely builds. It needs the Harry Potter mythology for you to at least know kind of the basics of how this universe works. Although it's a little different. Um, but I do find that kind of interesting, right? Because it's not like a superhero origin story where we have to just like literally just set up, okay, who is this dude? What is, what is he doing? How, what's his redemption arc? And let's just go through this again. I felt like, to me, like this felt more fresh in a way than the narrative of Doctor Strange. Because that was a traditional origin arc. And the stuff around that was more fun. And, you know, the visuals were really cool and stuff. Um but to me, like, they were just it, – it's a really interesting look at how you could maybe expand on a universe um, and what you can do if you're not building everything from scratch. So, Yeah, okay. Could, so, could, so, could, yeah. so Devendra, uh, I would not recommend this film to anyone. Uh, and Clearly. I'm, I'm sad I saw it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to watch another one of these movies again on the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> you say that every time. Yeah, but, you say that every time for every <laughs> Harry Potter movie and Hunger Games movie. But, but Well, yeah, I successfully did avoided one of those. But, um, but I will say this. Uh, there were some things I did like about the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. firstly, and I, I'm caveating everything I liked with a bunch of bad things. <laughs> I thought the special effects were very hit or miss. You know, some okay. some okay. of the cre- there, there was very few points mm-hmm. at which I thought to myself, "Oh, that is actually Eddie Redmayne with X creature," right? Because I I just kept thinking. What are these actors going through? You know, acting against green screen or these? You know, how is this being I done? Heard but I never they have like they had very big puppets that they were interacting right. with. Right. Oh, you can so see there was some can, physical thing there. You can see Eddie Redmayne <laughs> working so hard to sell yeah. you on the fact that he's making eye contact with these creatures. Like yeah. you can see all of his acting. I'm just pumping. Like, I'm going to be the guy <laughs> that sells this fucking CGI creature more than any actor has ever done in the history of cinema. He's trying so hard, and it just it just not worked. Uh, it, yeah, it, it did not work for me at all. You compare this to a movie like, let's say, Peach Dragon, you know, which I thought had way better CG and was much more convincing in terms of how uh, the humans interacted with the creatures. And so it was very hit or miss, but some of the special effects towards the end – were pretty great, yeah. And I can talk about that in spoilers, but uh, there, there's some, there's a big special effect at the end that I thought was actually very convincing. And uh, and what else I wanted to say the the overall message of the movie I think is one uh, for conservation. You know, it's a kind mm-hmm. of an environmentalist yeah. message that I appreciated. I do think the first ninety minutes of this film 
is pretty brutal, but then the movie <laughs> the movie roars to life in my opinion yeah, in the yeah. last forty five minutes. Yes, uh, yeah. and I thought uh, the first hour and a half, I thought to myself, "Why are we here? Who gives a crap about any of these people? I don't. What are they even doing? I don't care." And then finally, <laughs> the end. You it, there's all this urgency and momentum that comes into play that really kind of jolted me out yeah. of my uh, you know very like emotional checked outedness. But they could, uh, they could have time, cut a lot out of the middle of this movie for sure. Yeah, they could have cut a lot out for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're saying it, it rose to life at the end. It, it it turns into a very typical bombastic summer explosion film. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, so so the best thing I can say spoiled. is it became uh, very conventional and generic, which is right. to say not horrible, Jeff. Yeah, but we'll talk about this in spoilers too. I think the motivations of what's happening at the end is kind of interesting too. Like, there are there are a lot of like political factions and people who have their own interests at heart, and some of that stuff I found just interesting. The before we get to spoilers, I want to say I really like the scale of this movie. Like, as things as destruction destruction gets bigger and bigger, um, especially in that last sequence, there's some really great imagery in this movie. Like there's the, there's some things that truly wowed me uh, just when it comes to special effects. This is also a movie where uh, Oscar winner Eddie Redmayne does like a mating dance. Yeah, that was for a weird fun. rhino thing. And at first I thought it was terrible. And then I just kind of got into how dumb and stupid it kind of was. Um, but yeah, I'll talk about some more things in spoilers. I think what, what fascinated me is that this is a movie that does spend its time on certain character moments. that I think a lot of other movies would ignore. All, right, all of your uh, discussion of the all the political factions reminds me of of saying, see the the trade federation is actually really interesting because see they're they're blockading uh, Naboo and right. Well, it's more interesting than it's, tax policy because it does it almost reflects the horror that will be our you know author, authoritarian government in a couple years. You know, it, 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 there are shades. This is a movie that takes place when uh, between World War One and World War Two. And you can kind of get that sense of like, yeah, the, people are trying to rule a little more strictly here, uh, right? In America, they're, they're, uh, a magic user and a normal human can't have relations. This movie does kind of – it touches on some bigger concepts that I think the Harry Potter universe has. And it feels more adult in that way. I do want to talk about some of the like more serious things you were referring to. Like there is some frightening-ass imagery in this movie. Well- Yes. Hey, let, yeah, yeah, let's story. please get the spoilers, guys. Let's yeah, just real spoilers. quick, just real quick. Yeah. Uh, I guess they better explain why the magicians sat out World War II and just let, <laughs> let that happen. We don't know. There were dragons in World War One, apparently. <laughs> okay. Let's get the spoilers for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, they're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. That ending, guys. Mm-hmm. So I, tweet, I tweeted this last night that yeah. movies where uh, Johnny Depp shows up all of a sudden for a few minutes yeah. and then goes away... Yeah, uh, that has enough. There's enough movies in that category to be on like a Netflix category at this, this point. True. Why yeah. the fuck did they tell people Johnny Depp was in this movie? That's well. So I wasn't reading any of the news ahead of this, and that was a surprise to me. I, uh, guys, I guys, was, guys, let me just put it this way. Let's be straight here, okay? Yeah. If if this was any other film, if this was not part of the Harry Potter franchise, and you didn't know who the hell that character was, and he was played by anyone other than Johnny Depp, that ending would be unforgivable. 
unforgivable sure. to have sure. that ending. Okay. Oh, hey, this guy who has been kind of evil, and you've seen him turn evil the whole movie. By the way, he's a completely different guy that we don't know who he is. Yeah, what that's fuck awful. You to Colin Farrell too, right? Awful. <laughs> I mean, Colin Farrell, <laughs> you were you were Johnny Depp the whole time. <laughs> Aww. That that uh, is a that is a terrible way to end any movie. Full stop. And uh, sure. this movie, it's slightly more forgivable because it's part of this bigger universe, but whatever. Yeah, it, it closes off this storyline. It's not like that's the end-all, be-all of that character. Um, I, I just thought it was, a, it was a funny reveal, too, because I heard people in my audience being like, oh, crap. Like, oh, this is what's happening. And this is what I guess that's how people who don't follow movie news obsessively will react to this sort of thing. I was just surprised because uh, I guess I checked out of news on this movie uh, just leading into it. So I didn't hear about the Johnny Depp stuff at all. My my screening was introduced as Welcome to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, starring Eddie Redmayne, Johnny Depp. Oh man! Yes, mm, that's would what they, they do that? Said. That's what they said. So okay. is so I mean, so we found out Graves is Grindelwald. Who gives a shit is my response <laughs> what to was that. His plan? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This movie begins. This movie begins with. A bunch of newspapers being thrown at you at full speed. I, I consider myself a very fast reader, <laughs> but I, I had no idea what the hell I was supposed that to be looking for super messy or, or the significance of any of that shit. Like it yeah. was just – and it was – all this stuff is being hurled at you, this exposition. And uh, it, you know, it felt like a perfect encapsulation of how I felt watching the whole film, to be honest. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> let, let me point out one thing that I thought was mildly amusing about the ending of this film is – they have this uh, rain that makes people forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like how at the end of the movie they showed people drinking water and taking showers inside to indicate, hey, guys, the water is getting to those people too because you <laughs> – because, because they knew David Chen would watch this movie well, and be like, but what about the people inside? <laughs> well, because the audience can believe in forgetful rain. But not that – but like still nitpick that people will be inside during it. Uh, I mean you, I, you give audiences too much credit. Dave. It's true. It's true. It's true because I, I would have made that nitpick. Yes, but, uh, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, like does it really – He's one step ahead of you, does every Does everyone drink the water, Davindra? Anyway, um, so I thought that was very funny. But yeah, so, so Davindra I, – I... This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows – and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. I think ultimately uh, the two main messages I got from this movie are conservation, right? That like, hey, we're bulldozing... You know, a, a thousand football field sized rainforests every day in this yep. world. And, but maybe we are bulldozing the cure for cancer or the thing that's going to save us from some horrible disease or, or what have you. And so there's a very kind of, hey, don't uh, be afraid of the unknown and just destroy the unknown and kill these living creatures and so on. 
That's one part of it. But also, there's a very kind of X-Men you know, metaphor here of don't be afraid of what's different and people need to work right. together and that kind of thing, right? But also, like, the people – what's interesting here is, I guess, the people in charge, right? The magic government uh, <laughs> here, they are very much into being separated. Like, the, they're definitely the dumbest characters in this entire movie, right? Because everything would have been – not everything, but I think a lot of pain and effort would have been, uh, you know, spared if they had listened to Catherine Watterson's character uh, at the beginning of the movie. And then towards the middle, they yell at her for not telling them the thing that she was trying to tell them. That's the sort of thing that I hate. Uh, but what's interesting is both Newt and uh, even Colin Farrell's character slash dark, you know, uh, uh, dark magic user. Um, they're both kind of rejecting this control. Cre- uh, Credence, I think you're talking about, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, they're both rejecting that control. Well, not Credence. I'm talking about, uh, I was Grindelwald. talking about Graves slash... Graves uh, slash Grindelwald, yeah. Yes, okay. yes. Uh, they're rejecting that control in a way that uh, that seems necessary, too, because the way things are, the separation of magic users and humans uh, doesn't seem sustainable. Like, it doesn't seem right that you know, a magic user who loves a human, as we see set up in this movie, I actually like that little relationship um, because that actress just really sells it to you. And uh, Fogler, th- they have the final scene. And that worked well for me. Um, but there's sort of a rejection of like this very strict uh, governmental control over how people can live. And I also really liked uh, the uh, the Ezra Mill character and kind of what happened there. Um, either like there there's more going on in that story. I think that's that's just kind of interesting to me. And the whole final battle, right? It is about Colin Farrell trying to tr- control this kid, probably for not you know great ends, but also Newt is trying to keep him alive as well, right? They're both the ones trying to keep this kid alive. Their motivations are just a little different. And then, you know, the magic government comes in and fucking kills him. And shoots him. I mean, wand blast. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was surprisingly dark for me. Like, I yeah, know, The whole I, movie's it, very fucking dark. It's, it's a it's, very dark movie. But that, that kind of, it surprised me that they would go to that level. Like, rather than saying, okay, let's try to save this kid. It was like, nope, he's, he's dead. He's a threat to our society and our stability right now. We're just going to kill this kid. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm surprised that the movie went to that level. And also in terms of dark things, I liked uh, the freaking magician execution chair. What oh, the dude, hell? That is messed that, up. That is so fucked up. Talked about and I love that the nightmares. movie kind of went there. Yeah, it is. It's a Oof. nightmarish way of showing like how, yeah, how he would execute somebody with magical powers. Well, uh, I think and, it's, a, it's kind of a critique of the death penalty. Right? Yes, that it is. For it, sure. it very much looks like, because I don't think they have the death penalty in the United Kingdom. Uh, and so the, it's this chair and it lures you into this pool with your And there's like an memories. audience view there. I don't know if you've noticed, but there were like chairs up top for people to watch it happen to Oof. just like it's in America. Yeah. yeah so much that movie is very very dark and i i appreciated that i appreciate that little extra level of like adultness to this to the universe even though the movie itself and the plot itself you know have a lot of issues i totally agree with you guys i would like to step through the logic of this and i know you're gonna maybe write this off as a nitpick but (laughs) let me just step through the the fundamental plot the fundamental quest of our main character he's come over from london with a bag full of creatures, one of which he wants to release in Arizona. Yes. So rather than disapparating, he gets on a boat with a bag 
And he gets off and he goes through customs rather than using the numerous ways we know yes. from Harry Potter that he could easily walk through customs, <laughs> and, uh, invisible or looking like someone else or or just teleport beyond it for God's sake, <laughs> uh, which we see in this movie over and over and over again. Uh, he in- instead walks up with a case that he notices can be unlatched from the inside and maybe something is going to get out. And what he does is he turns a little knob on the front that says muggle protection and then it's safe to open it and nothing can get out and the guy doesn't even see into it. It's a fake thing, okay? A, why not just have that fucking knob turned the entire time? <laughs> B, Maybe there's like a battery pack, Jeff. Come on. B, he literally at the end of the movie has a rope around the box to prevent it from opening. Maybe put the rope on at the beginning. The movie doesn't have to happen. Live and learn. Like, he's Live literally learn, the, the, the least responsible person to be carrying these things. Secondly, <laughs> your plan is to come over from the UK, land off in New York, and get to, uh, get to uh, Arizona. So what are you going to do? You're going to take a leisurely stroll down Fifth Avenue in, in New York to get to fucking Arizona? Or are you going to start teleporting your ass to Arizona? <laughs> or, I don't know, get on a fucking broom and fly there. Like, the, the idea that, that magician – the thing that bugs me so much about science fiction and fantasy is when you create a, a somebody that has powers and there are no – limits to those powers right. and then they don't just use them right, it's as right, if right. i can walk and run but i'm gonna get to the end of the block by crawling because <laughs> that's how human beings started is we all maybe, crawl. maybe he scheduled some time off in new york jeff uh-huh. maybe just wanted a break then put a fucking game. rope on your bag <laughs> this movie like should never have happened a thousand re- there's a thousand reasons why none of this should have ever happened I, I think to, what, to what you guys were saying, he like the monsters getting out wasn't the cause of the entire movie. Like that whole the the bigger monster, the Ezra Miller character was that was a thing before. Yeah, you're no, you're right, Devendra. You're, you're right, Devendra. It just is what we spend like more than half the movie dealing with, um, sure. which again is not the main driving force of the film. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, I saw. I think it was Eric Snyder tweeted this, but how many movies would never have happened? If there was no such thing as identical briefcases. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another thing. But, I, Jeff, I think you're pointing out that uh, Newt Scamander is a dumbass. And dumbass. That's, it, wildly that's, irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. And that's one yeah. of the biggest problems of the film is yeah. he's someone that is not – I did not find charming. I found one of the most irritating characters I've seen <laughs> in a film this year. So – it's uh, weird how, like, Eddie Redmayne decided to make him, like, s- saddle up to everybody. Like, he's always, like, walking uh, <laughs> sideways almost, you yeah, know? Yeah, huh. It's a bizarre yeah. choice. I mean, he- he's clearly an actor who's like, I'm going to fucking make some decisions. I'm going to make some <laughs> choices. And, you know, I got to tip my hat to that. That is, that is, you know, somebody that goes to acting school, like, fucking go for it, bro. If you can get away with that shit on a grand scale – more yeah. power to you. Apparently, that's what cost him the Kylo Ren audition because he yeah. did like the Jupiter sending voice during that. <laughs> Is that true, Devendra? Is that a true that's story? A, that's the story. Yeah, it's mm. going around. He All auditioned right. for for Kylo Ren, and he was like, he 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 kind of hammed it up a little. I think, uh, man, I'd give money to see that. Yeah. Uh, well, Devendra, I'm really glad that uh, you have actually brought up, like, listening to you talk about it. I thought to myself, oh yeah, you're, I guess some of that stuff is kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Through eyes not clouded with seething hatred. (laughs) I think it was, you know, I wish all that stuff had been in a better film. Um, But, 
yeah, it's tough. It's tough, man. You know, some some movies we watch, and I think, okay, this wasn't my thing, but I can at least imagine why someone would like it. Mm-hmm. And this one is a challenge. You know, I, I don't think it's impossible for me to imagine. You know, I think one thing that I think really sums up the issues uh, of the film is there's one point in the film where he is trying he captures that creature in a teapot you know what Which i'm talking about brilliant yeah. idea yeah. conceptually brilliant yeah. but but uh i don't think they set that up right it's like uh no, no. alfred hitchcock you know he he says the difference between surprise and suspense is um surprise is two people are having conversation a bomb goes off and kills them both <laughs> and suspense is two people are having conversation, and then you see the bomb. It's going to go off, uh, underneath the it's table. Under the it's going to go off in right. ten minutes, you know. And you see it ticking, and it cuts back and forth. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, this that scene that I'm talking about, it feels exactly like it gets that wrong, and that's what a yeah. lot of the movies feels like. You know, they don't set up. Hey, we got to get this thing in a teapot. Find a teapot. Oh, rapid scramble to find a teapot. Oh, find a roach. Rapid scramble. You know, it's just oh hey, um, these things that we need to solve this problem are magically here, and we solve it in thirty seconds. You know, and <laughs> it just is like stuff is happening. They're introducing rules really rapidly into the world, and there's no tension. There's no momentum. It just kind of stuff is happening. Stuff is happening. That's how I describe this happening. movie. But yeah. I do want to say, like, I like the smaller moments too. Like, there's there's that scene with uh, the Ron Perlman character, who man, what's going on there? Uh, it's <laughs> weird how it Perlman. looked just like Ron Perlman, <laughs> but also like not. And that added, oh, that was Ron Perlman. That was Ron Perlman. Oh, cool. It was yeah. obvious. It was yeah, obvious. <laughs> it was clearly his face and him doing like the thing he's done in Hellboy and so many other movies <laughs> recently. Um, but that you know, he gives away his little his little uh, twig animal, you know, yeah. to him. And then towards the end of the movie, he has like a whole conversation. He's like, dude, like, yeah, I, I'm very sorry about this. Like, I would never, never given away, never would have given you away. And like, the thing is like responding to him. I like that this is a movie that has those little moments too. Like, so the greater plot is not good, as we all have talked about. But I think those smaller moments really work. The dinner scene and that ending scene, like those character moments actually work for me. Can we talk a little bit about the female characters in this movie? Uh, and how. Oh, the, uh, wait, there are female characters in this movie, Jeff? Right, exactly. Exactly. The uh, I, I, we were watching that scene at the end when he's about to go into the memory erasing rain, and uh, the actor, uh, what's her name, Allison Sudol, who plays Queenie Goldstein, says, "I'm never gonna meet someone like you." And my my significant other both looked at each other. We thought, "Yeah, you are. There's plenty. There's guys way better than him out there. You don't like don't get wrapped up in this one." Uh, the romantic subplot just felt. Completely underdeveloped and like very underwhelming. Jeff, both of thoughts? those, both of those female characters in the movie. If you remove them, <laughs> the, the movie's fine. There's no, there's no loss. Yeah. It's shocking that J.K. Rowling would write a movie that doesn't pass the Bechdel's test. You know, it's like it's it's really surprising. Mm-hmm. Those characters are so slight and so un- uninteresting. There's like no distinguishing characteristics yeah. about them. I mean, she, she, uh, she what's reads her minds. Ka- Catherine Waterston has one expression on her face for 80% of the film, yeah. uh, which looks like she's very disappointed in you pretty much. Uh, uh, yeah. We set up a character that can read minds and that's literally never paid off. <laughs> yeah. 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 That does seem like a weird ability to have if, like, you have a secret dark sorcerer hiding in plain sight. Like, <laughs> at some point, he would, the same place he would you show work up. in and yeah. that you interact with every yeah. day. I was thinking about that. That's a pretty big plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Devendra, no, uh, I, I'm glad we had this conversation, and uh, I, I sort of 
you make me appreciate this film more. Um, you, you don't make me like the film, but you make me appreciate it more. And I hope yeah. you can see some of our complaints with the, mo- the yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. Well. And I will join you guys in not being excited for four more movies of this. Like how? <laughs> how? What? Uh, yeah, because I think you're saying, the, in your opinion, the plot for this film was kind of stretched to begin with. Yeah. So how are they going to make you know four more movies out of this? And David Yates signed up for all of them. Man, he is just... He's yeah, he just attached himself to this money cow. 15 years of his life is going into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also probably 15 times the amount of money he had before in his bank account. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that is our review of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Jeff and I were not fans. Devendra liked it, and uh, so did a lot of other film critics. Uh, also appreciated the film as well. So, uh, decide for yourself and then go check it out. Uh, box office wise. Just real quick, if you have kids and you want to take them to a movie, go see Moana instead of this. <laughs> Please. Don't take kids to this movie. But what if you have a goth kid? Well, maybe uh, if you I, I could see yeah. enjoying this movie as a kid because there's so many creatures and fun things to look at. Yeah. You know it's terrifying. I mean? <laughs> but I, I also loved those movies as I, when I was. A kid. Oh, maybe I loved Beetlejuice and like so. the, the the hilarious child abuse subplot in Fantastic yep. Beats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week, uh, and also uh, I, I should say stay tuned to hear our, our review of The Handmaiden with Angie Han. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, guys, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Jeff Kanata. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have a couple other shows for you to check out. Uh, we have concerns is a comedy science show. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And my video game podcast is called DLC. And you can find that at five by five dot TV slash DLC. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devendra. I write about techandgadget.com, and we're also doing the podcast there. So check that out. Oh, yeah. It's like a video podcast now, right? It is. It's yeah. video. Still mostly – it's mostly being sent out through audio, but you do video because you got you to get those YouTube views. Got to get the YouTube views. I know I know that feeling. Um, and find all my stuff at davechen.me and uh, find my film The Primary Instinct at theprimaryinstinct.com. Music for our show comes from adamwarrock.com. He wrote our theme song. SimonMHarris.com wrote our Slash Film Court music. Find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com with your emails as well as Slash Film Court submissions. Next week, we'll be reviewing Moana, the new Disney film. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing why Jeff thinks it's one of the best Disney films of all time. And uh, stay tuned again for Handmaiden. And hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back. This is a Slash Filmcast, and joining us for our review of The Handmaiden is an editor at SlashFilm.com, Angie Han. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Angie? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on, Angie. You were just in Seattle, right? We just uh, we hung out not too long ago. How was your visit here? Uh, it was great. I got to see this great guy I know named Dave Chen, yep. so obviously that was the highlight of the my trip. The pinnacle of any Seattle visit, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was, it was great to see you again, and uh, yeah, and great to talk to you about 
this movie, The Handmaiden, um, according to IMDb, the plot summary is as follows. A woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress, but secretly she is involved in a plot to defraud her. Now, a quick question. Are you familiar with uh, any of the other films of Park Chan-wook? Uh, some of them, and but I'm not familiar with the source material, uh, Fingersmith, the novel that it's based on. Are you, any of you guys? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Um, but uh, were you a fan of Old Boy? Were you a fan of Sympathy for uh, the Vengeances uh, or Stoker or, or Thirst or any of those films? I do. I do like him. I haven't seen all of his films. Um, I do like the ones that I've seen some more than others, like Stoker. I know some people loved and I wasn't, you know, I was like, you know, I liked it. I didn't love it. Like kind of thing. I was really excited to see what he was going to do. And this was just it's not quite what I expected, but in a good way. All right. So what do you think of The Handmaiden overall? Um, I loved it. It's so fun. I think one of the things that I mean, so the trailers, you know, could sell it as this like dark psychosexual thriller kind of thing with like lots of twists and turns. And it does give you all that. But one thing I really didn't expect that is that it's a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. Like I found myself laughing like kind of a lot more than at a lot of comedies this year even. Yeah, uh, I thought there was a, a great deal of humor in it, and uh, a lot of the humor in Park Chan-wook's movies are usually pretty dark. Uh, but glad to hear you liked it. Uh, let's just talk overall thoughts, and we'll dive into spoilers shortly. Jeff Kanata, I think you're probably the least familiar with Park Chan-wook's f- films. You have not seen Old Boy, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so yes. uh, I was very I excited for you to see The Handmaiden. Cause I th- Did you see Stoker, by the way, Jeff? No, I, this is my first uh, Your first Park Chan-wook film. Okay, oh, so, wow. yeah. so <laughs> what did you think of this experience, Jeff? Also... <laughs> more than more than not know. I mean, I knew his reputation, yeah. right? And Are you I, ready for this, Jeff? <laughs> that is a question that I'm not sure I can answer. Uh, I I will tell you that much like most of the movies I attend, I I knew nothing about it. Um, I all, all that I knew was how uh, Dave sort of and and you, Devendra, set it up for me, which was sort of like full of uh, oh, here we go, you know, the type of. Um, are well, you Jeff, my my record of recommending movies to you is unimpeachable, right? So I don't know if you know what unimpeachable means. <laughs> the opposite, yeah. yeah. What are you thinking? Um, so uh, my experience of going to this movie was was not really knowing what to expect, um, and I I hated this movie until I loved it. <laughs> Right. Which is which is a very um, very unusual thing, you know. I think most of us, myself included, you can sort of tell if you're going to like a movie pretty early on, and it's very rare that a movie that you start not liking wins you over. I think it, it tends to be the case that if if a movie starts off and when the first twenty or thirty minutes you're like, oh boy, I don't know about this, it, it almost never changes. Um, at least that's been my experience. That is not the case with this movie. Uh, this movie starts. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything because I think that that part of that roller coaster ride and journey was and ended up being something I really liked about it. But it, the way it starts out is a very conventional film, and in my hubris, I said to myself, <laughs> "I got this movie figured out. <laughs> I know what this is." Yeah. And you know what? Boring or whatever. <laughs> Not, I don't like to use that word, but I, I felt like I got this figured out and this isn't particularly interesting and I don't – I'm not into this idea and I kind of see where this is headed and OK, I'm, I'm in it. Here we go. And how much longer is this running time? This is like a three-hour movie? How, much, how are they going to stretch this out? And then some things start happening and uh, it gets much, much, much more interesting and – but and well <clears> – <throat> 
I shouldn't even say that. What what really happened is the first, I don't know, 30 minutes, I'm I'm in that place of I got this movie figured out I don't, and I'm not particularly enjoying it. It seems very conventional and very not special. And then something happens and I'm like, well, now I have no idea what this movie is, but I don't like it. I definitely don't like it. It's now we're in bonkers town and I don't have any – I just don't even want to be watching this. It makes me feel weird and uncomfortable and I uh, – this is – now I don't even know what it's doing anymore, but this is dumb. And then now I see what you're doing, movie, and uh, I tip my hat to you, movie. Uh, well done, movie. Uh, and yeah, and then and then it started really getting it's getting juicy and interesting and fun. I do think that – the gratuitousness of it is unnecessary and almost detracting. I, I mean, I understand. You mean like the sex scenes? The, the, yeah, the sex scenes. The same kind of problem I had with, um, oh, what was it? Neon Demon? Neon Demon. Yeah, where it's sort of like <laughs> it's making a statement, but at the same time, stylistically, it's saying the exact opposite of the statement that it's trying to make. Um, and we can dig a little deeper into that in spoilers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I do, I do have some issues with the movie, but overall – I was really impressed with the uh, flourishes that it that it manages to pull off, and uh, I I ended up really loving it. All right, Devinder Hardwar, overall thoughts, and then I'll share some, and then we'll get to spoilers. Yeah, I uh, I loved it. Uh, listeners of the show will probably know that I uh, I kind of have a you know a lot of affection for Park Chan Wook. He is uh, among I, I think it's between him and Aronofsky who I think are the greatest living directors right now. And uh, this movie lived up to, you know, everything I was hoping. It has all the style, the crazy twists and turns that uh, are kind of a trademark of some of his films, too. Uh, but there's a lot of emotion and a lot of heart here, too. Like, the core relationship uh, that builds up. I guess even saying what builds up is kind of a spoiler, too. Although I've heard descriptions, and like, even NPR uh, saying what like the basic plot of this movie is um I, I there's a great emotional core to it i love the gratuitousness of it too uh in a weird way it feels like on screen you can see how much he's matured from the guy who made old boy and that's a movie that i also love you know top five for me um but there's so much like i don't know there's almost a deeper understanding of I think women in general too, and how to tell a story with women. Um, and the story itself is great. It, this is like pure Hitchcock. This is a great thriller type story. So yeah, I loved it. Um, I'm trying to still think of where it sits among all of his work for me. Like old boy is pretty much up there. I think this is an overall, you know, it's a warmer, much more interesting film than, uh, some of his other ones. Like, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is a movie I know a lot of people like, but that movie still feels really cold to me. And same thing with Lady Vengeance, uh, both dealing with kind of you know, that theme of vengeance. Old Boy is the same thing. This movie kind of shows that he's maybe lightening up a little too, which I kind of like. All right, I'll just share some quick thoughts uh, and then let's get to spoilers. There's so much more to discuss. Uh, one thing I felt about this movie and watching all of Park Chan-wook's movies is – more than any other filmmaker, in my opinion, Park Chan-wook mm-hmm. is someone who really takes advantage of the medium. And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is uh, I once learned in a class some, at some point in my life that when you're making a film, or maybe it was an interview I had with the director. Um, actually, I think it was an interview, the interview I did with the creators of The Chair. That's right. So mm-hmm. go, go check out that interview on the Slash Filmcast feed if you have a chance. But um, – uh, one thing they said is when you're making a film, you need to consider why this needs to be a film. Why right. can't it be a book or a podcast or an essay or you know some other form or a short film? Why does it need to be a film? And when you, walk, when you watch Park Chan-wook's movies, 
There is no question why it needs to be a film. He makes use of every aspect of all these elements coming together. The music, camera movement, costume design, uh, in, like really labyrinthine plotted scripts. All of it coming together in a way that feels like it's pure cinema. And The Handmaiden is no different. I think, Devinder, you're talking about comparing it to Old Boy. It does feel a lot more restrained than Old Boy mm-hmm. in terms of right, things right. like special uh, visual effects. You know, He doesn't go all out with visual effects uh, or with like this crazy cutting back and forth. There's a lot of cutting back and forth in the timeline, uh, as there is in Old Boy, but uh, it feels just much more restrained and much more mature than that film. And uh, and where it's leading, and like you said, how uh, the film deploys women uh, in a much more central way than, than in Old Boy. It all feels like a filmmaker who's uh, at the height of his powers. And so I really like The Handmaiden. It is my number one movie of the year right now so far. Huh. Uh, I thought La La Land might unseat it, but uh, I saw it, and it has not unseated it. Um, so wow. I really uh, I really enjoyed this movie, and I recommend you go check it out. But so much more to talk about. So why don't we dive into spoilers for The Handmaiden right now? Now you're looking for the secret. You're trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret you want to be fooled. Many people listening to this probably just rolled right into spoilers because this movie is maybe not on their radar and <laughs> they don't know right. if they're going to even see it. And why not just listen to the guy spoil it? Because I'm probably not even going to see that movie. I, I kind of think that's a shame because like right. the the spoilers in this movie are really big spoilers and uh, we're going to spoil all of them. And I think this is a, a, a really interesting movie. And if you're a cinephile, mm-hmm. it's a it's a wild ride. And I I just want to urge people again right here after the spoiler break <laughs> to, to take that into consideration. This is All a right. double spoiler warning. We need an extra like audio clip just for that. Yeah. Like yeah. red alert, you know, <laughs> seriously. Spoilers. So Angie Hunt, question for you. How male gazy did you find this movie? Because it is a movie that is very concerned with uh, these female central characters, uh, but where they also have this incredibly graphic sex that goes on for what feels like a very long time, you know. And uh, and on the one hand, yeah, this is a like a very pure expression of the affection that these two characters feel for each other, but it also does feel uh, very pornographic in some ways. And I'm wondering, uh, did you find it? A little bit male gazy. Did you find it gratuitous at all? Uh, it, talking specifically about the sex scenes, uh, I mean, they are very, very stylized. They're not like it, it doesn't look really. I don't think realistic. Then again, I don't think a lot of movie sex does. It reminded me of the sex scene a little bit in um, Orange Is the New Black, which is another one where it's just like you know, it's a love story between two women, and then it just goes, and then you have you the sex scene that is color. Just, Oh, fuck. Yes. yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I cursed. The other uh, color ones. It's fine. Right. I the always other get color those... sh- movie about... Orange like, is the new yes. blue is the, yes. the black of the... Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I get it. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, it's another it's another story that's about, like, you know, it's a love story between two women. And then there's this, like, long, extended, very, like, idealized sex scene in the middle uh, that's just full of all these, like, acrobatic moves and shit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, let's be real. That's not how most normal people have sex. And that's fine. Um, Speak I mean, for yourself, Angie. But- <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just giving away way too much about myself. <laughs> um, but in this and, 
and in this one, it didn't bother me as much as it did in that other movie because The Handmaiden is already such like a stylized movie, whereas the other one I felt like was trying really hard to be very grounded and down to earth. And this one is not so much that. At the same time, though, I mean, yeah, like it just I did kind of like stop and be like, all right, this is all right. I, I get the point. We can we can move on. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I wouldn't say I was like bothered by it, but I wouldn't say that it felt particularly female gazy, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. Is this a movie doing a world's first? Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a POV vagina shot. <laughs> no. It's literally the POV. Somebody, no, there, yeah, no that's, it's definitely not Jeff. world's first. I mean, Gaspar Noe, I'm pretty sure, has done yes, that yes, a few yes. times. But, right. uh, also but, lots of porn. I, I will say it is the, the first porn. time – it is the first film I've seen that has ended with uh, vagina bells – uh, and the, the, well, the, you know, the sort of there's a first for everything. The sort of tinkling well, sound of vagina bells is the season, Dave. Tis <laughs> as the, the credits season. come up, uh, but uh, yeah. So this is a so let's give away the main twists that like this is basically a classic triple cross, right? <laughs> a classic so, triple. Cross. Yes. So Jeff, I think when it was when it was just a double cross, you probably didn't find the film super interesting. No, no, that's that's not that's not it at all. I mean, I think as moving into the double cross is when I think it really got interesting. And I mean, I think separating the movie into part one, part two, and part three, I thought, well, part three is going to be our triple cross. But by then, I was in and fascinated by you know, I love con movies. I love I love movies about con artists mm-hmm. and. Um, this movie is, you know, the the Spanish prisoner, and uh, it it is in its own way, it is as much a con artist movie as any other con artist movie. Um, and by that by that third triple cross, I didn't think that that was a surprise so much as sort of the methodology of how it was going to be accomplished was fun. Now, but it's that first t- twist, that first double cross, and revisiting all of the scenes that we've already seen, but getting more information about yes, them yeah, yeah. that I found to be. A blast. I mean, this movie is sort of like Pulp Fiction meets Thelma and Louise, right? Mm, it's yeah. you, you get you get to revisit parts of the movie that you thought were very obvious and see that they weren't, and that to me, cinematically, is so much fun. When it's like, mm. oh my gosh, I get to reinterpret these scenes that I've already experienced and thought were so uninteresting the first time. Yeah. You know, Jeff, I I was reminded of our review of the hateful eight when you were talking about Quentin Tarantino coming in to narrate part of that film and how confident that is. Like he's just stepping in and saying, Hey, I'm going to just tell you what goes on. Uh, It feels a lot like that amount of confidence for sure. That the director has in this film that, hey, there are so many twists and turns here. I'm going to show you one scene two, three, maybe four times, you know, and right. then each time yeah. it's going to mean something slightly different. Yeah. Uh, that you'll just be inside a-, a different character's perspective each time and yeah. you'll – you know, it, it's it's so much fun. You feel like you're on this giddy ride of discovery and, and that's what, how I, I went from like the first time around seeing all that stuff – I just felt like it was so conventional and uninteresting. And that's the the joy of that turn of going, oh, my gosh, I was being duped. I was being conned the whole time as well. Uh, that's when I really appreciated the film for what it was doing. Totally, totally. Did, didn't you find it interesting, this whole uh, – <laughs> the idea that that was what pornography was back then, was a woman <laughs> reading pornography? I, I just mean, thought that was – yeah, I yeah, thought that was kind we, of we fascinating. We have many – I don't know the way like erotic uh, art works uh, across human civilization is very strange, but that's definitely I, I haven't seen that before in a movie. You know, just well, a reading. I agree with Angie that it, it mm-hmm. felt a little cartoony, um, mm-hmm. especially like the weird 
position she gets into with the dummy. Yeah, All of it, yeah. it, it felt very dark, and, and you can understand how somebody would come out of that wanting to murder everyone that did that to them. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like it, it was a little over the top and cartoonish. And that was the point at the movie at which I, w- I literally would have walked out if we were not reviewing the movie. I would have left. I, w- I would have been like, fuck this movie. I don't want to watch this. I feel um, like a, but I feel like a lot of the movies kind of over the top and cartoony. Yeah, like that's kind yeah. of what makes it fun. It's, it's, it's not a movie that's pretending to be like super like, you know, realistic or grounded or naturalistic or anything like that. Like a, a part of the fun is just like watching all these like really elaborate things that happen, all these mm-hmm. crazy things that happen that you wouldn't expect. So, I mean, like that part of it yeah. kind of worked for me. That's kind of where all the, a lot of the humor comes from too, for me. Uh, like one moment that really made me laugh is like when you finally, when you realize like, you know, all the paintings that she's been doing how fucking terrible they actually are like it was such a dumb joke but it made me laugh a lot in the theater yeah because <laughs> yeah, she doesn't care because she's conning it's like all a performance it's yeah, no it's, and they're like hideous it's right. so funny <laughs> i did it, like how everything in the movie seemed to add, add up to something else you know that there there's almost no detail in the film that they show you that doesn't in some way come back uh by the end of the movie and i have per- one exception to that <laughs> oh really Sorry to, Sorry to interrupt you. You can finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say, like, the guy who plays, uh, is it her uncle, right? The the guy, the evil, basically the evil guy with the black tongue. Right? Yeah, right. her uncle. Uh, and how his tongue is all black. And then there's that scene. It's a very uh, troubling scene, right? I agree with you guys that it's, it's over the top, and that's, that's one of the things I love about it. But they're very troubling scene when she's learning to read this erotica as a young kid, and then her and her mom share a little, like, tee-hee. And then he kind of goes and suffocates them with his gloves. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. He like, stands up. over them and just like is thinking – is trying to communicate to them, to them like how dare you not take this completely seriously. And then later on, of course, you see her reading it and she's taking it very seriously. Uh, but even then, like it's one of the things – one of the other things that's funny about the movie is it's just like male desire in this movie is very, very funny. Like, it's just, you know, just like watching the reactions of the guys watching her read. Like, she does, she's not even the one that comes off as indignified, despite the one that, despite her being the one that's screwing a dummy. Like, right. you just see them and they're just like practically drooling and they look like such idiots. And like, even the, um, the main character guy, the, the con artist that's working with them, like, his undoing is that he can't, like, you know, in the, in the, at the last minute, he caves to lust against his better yeah, judgment. That's right. Uh, so like, yeah, like, throughout the movie, male, desire is portrayed as like comical as silly as unserious as like stupid and as kind of evil i think the kind of evil and dangerous is is in there too and i and i i don't know that kind of i think that colored the comical for me It, it was there was always a sinisterness to it that was uncomfortable and that prevented me from really laughing at it because yes it's it's held up as being ridiculous but ridiculous in a dangerous way I think that those kind of feed into each other. I mean, I yeah, I agree with you that it seems dangerous because it's obviously been very harmful for especially the um, the heiress uh, lady. But yeah, like I think that that's, that's kind of why it feels good to laugh at it uh, yeah. because you know it's this thing that's been menacing her. But then you you kind of get another perspective on it where you realize how pathetic it kind of is. I have a comment <laughs> on the ending. A very good observation, Angie. I want to piggyback off that for a second. But Jeff, you were saying there's one detail that didn't. Uh, well, maybe I, it's the reverse of that, right? It, it felt like it wasn't set up uh, to me, and maybe I just missed it. Maybe you guys can correct me. But um, the the very end of the movie, when uh, he smokes the cigarette that is full of gas, yeah, like we don't see that ever set up, do we? I, I understand that he 
pointedly smokes all of the other cigarettes, so it's the last one left. So he ha- so that you know he'll have to smoke the blue one. But we don't ever see him pack a blue cigarette with death gas, do we? I don't think so, but I think it's maybe set up when you realize he has access to really rare and hard to get poisons. Right, but I just thought in an otherwise, uh, and also in the car, uh, we uh, I think we see it at least once or twice before that scene. You see like, the blue one, and he smokes all of the others. Right, but yeah. in a movie that takes care to set up all the payoffs, like that wasn't set up, and I thought it was strange that all of a sudden we just accept that he has this magical death cigarette. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it didn't seem too out of the question for me because these, I guess, because it has what has been set up is that these are thieves that uh, are always looking for an exit strategy, and you know, that might include the ultimate exit strategy of having a way to kill yourself if you get into a really bad situation. So, but I think there there could have been a delicious joy in the audience when he says there there aren't any windows in here. If we could have been like, oh, I know what he's gonna do. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I did feel that way because it, it had the movie had done such a good job of showing you that some of these cigarettes are blue earlier on, you know, and that he wasn't touching them. I, I don't know. I felt like it was slightly yeah. more well set up than you're you're indicating. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, going back to Angie's point about male desire, yeah, it, it is quite a moment. Um, like uh, when I think back to this movie, there are striking visual moments and then there's also really powerful emotional moments one of them is when uh she realizes that uh you you know the handmaiden is destroying all the books and that's when she realizes like the full extent of this woman's love for her i feel like that's like Mm -hmm. that's a critical Mm -hmm. scene uh and that's when she is kind of like sold on uh, the two of them making a break for things together. Uh, at least that was my interpretation. But also, uh, yeah, the scene at dinner or whatever later on, after they've put her in the insane asylum, and he is basically saying, yeah, I could I could see myself putting up with you. And uh, she seems to be intrigued by that, but in fact is like disgusted to the point that she's uh, turning him in. Uh, which I thought was, on the one hand, pretty brutal, in, because... Uh, she could have just taken all his stuff and left him there, but then she turned him in to be tortured to death. Uh, and uh, but on the other hand, hey, she he left that uh, that woman to die, you know, in that place. Yeah, and so that's it an odd like plan, punishment. isn't yeah. it? An odd plan to like have her legit get go into the insane asylum. Like I kind of it's, it's waiting for like the. A, it's like a Victorian story, right? And I guess that's kind of what uh, the the original novel was going for as well, right? That's like something from a very old novel and not something very new. It does remind me, like- Jeff, of this uh, of this psychological study of that that I read in, when I was in college about how if you go if you are in an insane asylum or a psychiatric treatment center or whatever, <laughs> that uh, people judge your actions differently. You know, right. uh, that is to say. Actions that to you would appear to be normal, like, for instance, insisting that you don't belong in the insane asylum, would be taken as further signs of your illness <laughs> once right. you're in there. Uh, right. And so when I read that, I, I thought to myself, man, that is very scary because if you did end up uh, in an insane asylum you know, not rightfully, it would be very challenging to get out and convince people that you were normal because right. even the slightest deviation from what they tell you to do would be taken as disobedience mm-hmm. and possibly insanity. Well, it's that um, Shawshank Redemption thing, right? It's uh, if you keep saying I deserve to be out, they're not going to let you out. It's when you're like, no, I deserve to be in here. Exactly. Like, oh, yep, he's rehabilitated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but why did you think it's a weird plan, Jeff? 
Uh, I kept waiting for there to be uh, a, a more clever thing that results from showing him that she really did double cross her the girl i'm uh, bad because i don't have names but the you know that moment where she really does get committed into the insane asylum i kept waiting for some reveal that she wasn't actually going to have to spend time in there that they had figured out some clever ruse but the plan was like no you legit have to go into an insane asylum (laughs) and break out you know like that's that's don't they set up her breakout ahead of time by like writing to her like other criminal cohorts and like like I, I thought that that was what that was about. They sent her mm-hmm. like payment and were like, "Help, help break this woman out of the insane asylum." So they had a plan for that. Yeah, they, they had. Yeah, they had a plan. I think where where the plan deviated. Uh, Suki, by the way, I think is the name of the handmaiden, and Lady Hideko is mm-hmm. the name of the uh, her lover. Um, but yeah, I think where the plan went awry is that he intended to have her killed while she's in the insane asylum. Right. Right. So right. Count Fujiwara is mm-hmm. uh, is. The guy who wanted to have her killed. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it, you know, when she not only takes all his stuff, leaves him naked on the floor, but then also turns him into uh, the uncle, uh, particularly brutal move. And by the way, Jeff, that scene in the basement, which is amazing. And actually, Angie, going back to your point about it's men's desire that it leads to their undoing again and again in this film, again, even in that scene, right? right. The uncle is so into the story, like, tell me more, he says, that uh, he ignores the poison gas that is spreading all around him. Uh, and he lets his guard down a little bit. So basically, uh, men's primal desires can only lead to hor- horrific torture and probably death, I think, is the main message of this film. Yes, um, and don't any of you forget that. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, but anyway, Jeff, yeah, that scene in the dungeon when he's torturing that guy to death, Kung Fu Jiwara to death, that is basically the tone of most Park Chan-wook films. That's <laughs> uh, no, that? my just understanding. That. Yeah, yeah my understanding. It, it just feels mo- – most of his films feel like that scene. So when I – You should, you should we, really watch Old Boy though, Jeff. Yeah, when we got to that scene, yeah. I, I thought to myself, man, this is classic Park Chan-wook. <laughs> We're finally getting – he's finally getting back to his roots two hours and 20 minutes into this film. So uh, anyway – any other elements of this film uh, we want to highlight? I think the the just the set design, the costume design, like this is such a visually rich movie, and I think even more so than some of Park Chan Wook's other ones because those have generally been like modern things. You know, Old Boy's had some. What's distinctive about Old Boy is like some of the very uh, crazy sets and some of the cool designs. But to see him do a period movie like this, uh, just it's interesting. The blending of like Korean and Japanese styles as well. There's a lot of stuff going on here. This is a movie I can't wait to rewatch. And uh, when it comes down to, uh, we were talking about like seeing the changing perspectives. Um, I think that's like the key moment of the movie, right? And most movies can barely get character motivations down right. Uh, in a single perspective, but this movie does it several times um, for a single scene. And I think that's what's fascinating too, right? Seeing both Suki's, you know, what she's thinking, and then later what Hitoko's thinking, and how Hitoko, you know, isn't a fool even though she's playing the fool. I found that all very fascinating. By the way, Chris twenty four N in the chat room is saying that the blue cigarettes were set up when he talks about liquid that will knock someone out or can kill someone. There you go. Yeah, yeah. but not. I, I understand that, I, I, <laughs> but I don't think that that was explicit. As fair far enough. As, fair it's enough. in the cigarette. Anyway, uh, but I, I take you guys' retort to that. Uh, fair, fair enough. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about this whole neon demon th- th- effect, uh, which I think is legit. And uh, I know it's um, 
a tough thing to talk about sometimes, but and it makes me come off sounding like a prude, I'm sure. But I do think that in a movie that is so um, feminist, to be quite honest, so pro women and, and yeah, empower to- toppling the patriarchy, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I, I do think it wants to have its cake and eat it too, and uh, it is titillating and it is gratuitous, and I don't understand why that had to be. I like mm-hmm. it's not you know. It's fine to enjoy it on a certain level, but I, I feel like it does its message a disservice by sort of being there. It, it does. I do feel like I'm oogling them uh, as mm-hmm. I'm watching it, and it, and the the movie lingers and the way it it sexualizes them in real in ways that I think are unique to a male uh, fantasy of lesbianism that isn't honest to perhaps what lesbianism might actually be. I don't know. It just feels, and I could be completely wrong on this, but it, mm-hmm. to me, it felt like trying, it, it, subverting its own message by doing the thing it hates. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough too. Well, go, go ahead, Angie. Cause oh, I, no, I was yeah. just going to say, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know what mm-hmm. like a woman, no woman that is into other women would think of yeah. that. I mean, I'm straight, so I don't really have much better perspective mm-hmm. on that front. Uh, yeah, I mean it is it is titillating, but at the same time, like I think it makes sense for this movie that it's somewhat mm-hmm. titillating. I think it, and then that that scene is all about those two women giving each other pleasure without any men there. So I I I guess I'm not I, I'm not going to sign off on this scene and be like, yes, it's the most feminist thing that's ever happened or anything. <laughs> but I feel like I wasn't maybe as bothered by it as some other people. You know, were. Jeff, yeah. this is the, this is the second time uh, where we've reviewed kind of a female centric movie in the last few months. Uh, where I feel like the men, the men commenting on the film, are more bothered by the nudity and sexuality of the women right. than the women we've had on the podcast. This movie well, is not, making me feel things, guys. Well, that's, what was I, the other one? Hitting on it. Neon Demon. <laughs> Neon Demon. Yeah. But I, th- I think they're hitting on it, and I don't want it to sound crude right. to say this, but I kind of know what it does to me. Right. <laughs> But it's a, it's a normal biological reaction too, right? So I don't. Well, that's intentional about, from the filmmaker, right? Right, but well, here, let me ask you: like, what do you guys <laughs> think a graphic sex scene that is right, right. not oriented toward the male gaze at all, or only oriented toward the female gaze, would look like then? Right. I mean, I'm thinking of things I've seen in Orange is the New Black, which is very female gazy or Orange is the New too. Black, or no, he means Orange one. is the New Black, the Netflix series. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'm the yeah. only one that's getting them confused. All right, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but uh, where, in, what in other words, where like the, the nudity is not as plentiful. No, there's nudity. Right? Like it's. I like, think that, thinking of Orange is the New Black, or even you know shows that are. Uh, I'm thinking of what more transparent too, which is another like female-driven show that has that shows sex in all different forms. There's nudity. There's there's they show stuff. Um, but I guess I was thinking about this a lot too, coming out of this film because it's how do you do you know how do you show an effective you know, sex scene with two people who are in love and are, you know, really in love and really want to show it to each other. How do you do that and not make it a little, a little titillating, you know, like that's, that's the hard part. Like either you're cutting back or you're doing disservice to your characters. I think you can go a little too far. That was the thing. That was the big complaint with Blue's Warmest Color, right? Because that, that movie is amazing. And I really enjoy that one too, but that sex scene definitely goes on way too long and is much more, it is much more explicit and overt in terms of what they're doing. Like in that movie, it really looks like they're actually having sex with each other. Whereas this one was like, it is, you know, it is um, pretty graphic for a movie, 
because you could probably see where they could fake some things. Uh, when you get to the point where it looks like your actors are actually having sex with each other with a steady camera for like five to ten minutes, that's where it gets maybe a little much. And I didn't feel that as much here. For me, with blue is the warmest color. It wasn't even really that. It's that in the throughout the movie, you're so in their heads, and it's such a, like a really grounded, like personal, yeah. emotionally intimate experience. And then you see this like really acrobatic sex scene that's shot from far away. That doesn't look like the way any real people really have sex unless they're doing it for someone else's benefit who's <laughs> watching. Like, I mean, you know, in real life, like sex is not that like pretty or neat or like cool looking. Like, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of so that was why I didn't right, really right. like that sex scene. It also felt really out of place for that movie. Whereas I think in this one, it doesn't as much. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee in the chat room says, "I think the most erotic scene was having the handmaiden soothing her master's tooth." Oh yeah! Tooth. Oh god! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty hot. Not gonna lie, pretty <laughs> good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of well, there's I a lot of movies where the sexiest scene isn't what you'd think. Like I remember in Fifty Shades of Grey, the part where they're just like sitting in the conference room negotiating their contract was weirdly the sexiest scene <laughs> in the whole movie. That is just a movie that is just about sex. Right, Jeff. Jeff, what were you gonna say? Oh, I just wasn't into the tooth thing. Oh, really? Well, that's um, you and crazy. I. Well, you saw, you, you saw both sides of the tooth thing too, right? Like when right. the uh, Hideko side was, this is weird, and why is this happening? <laughs> and to Suki's perspective, is like this is hot. This is incredibly hot. I also yeah. got the sense that like she didn't necessarily have such a big issue with the tooth. It, it was it was just a sort of a come on. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, she was yeah, just yeah. making it up. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I um, <laughs> I, t- I hear what you're saying, and I'm probably going to be the, the the minority opinion on this one. Um, I'm sure I'll get a lot of uh, you know. I'm a prude know, or whatever. You know, you know, to, be, to be fair, Jeff, uh, I saw it with my significant other who is a woman and she felt the same way as you. I don't think she felt quite as extreme as you did. Uh, but I think she did find something, quote unquote, male gazy. About yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, a physicality and a um, observational quality to how it's shot that doesn't, to me – seem feminine it seems masculine and maybe that's the point maybe like mm-hmm. it's empowering them to sort of be just sexual creatures and but i think like directed by a man r- written by a man it feels i don't know it just it yeah. feels like well, this is trying to make a statement and then undermining its own statement for but, sure i'm just i'm just wondering like how how do you not do that Right. Like as a male director doing a sex scene like this, other than maybe like making it all uh, kind of subversive and just hinting at things without actually showing it. The minute you show anything, you're showing the male gaze, you know. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's more we can say about oh, like what on. the issues are. The minute are. you yeah. show any skin, you're showing the male gaze. So like female directors who want to shoot sex scenes. <laughs> no, I'm saying men. I'm saying men, Angie. Like I'm saying that's because that's what it is. Whenever there's a sex scene. Uh, directed by you know a male director like that is one of the things we often hear i'm trying to parse that criticism right when is it when is it more than the male gaze or when is it just the male gaze and that's that's a tough thing because i think this movie handles it pretty well yeah and i mean we're we're talking about the sex but there's a lot more to this movie than just like you know there's a lot more to this movie and it's feminism and it's like themes of uh, gender politics and just the sex scene so i mean like i think that that also kind of helps with it is that you're not just watching this one sex scene by itself it's like comes in the context of this like larger story that's very very much driven by these women very much driven by their desires very much driven by the fact that they are continually underestimated by the men around them which kind of allows them to get the slip on them right Mm -hmm. you're not wrong angie you're not wrong whatsoever but this movie is explicitly about 
guys who sit in a dark room and watch a girl do things for their entertainment. And then that's what I was doing. Right. Like that's what I, that's, that's literally what point. I was doing. Maybe it, yeah, wants, you, that is maybe the it point. wants people like you to be like, oh, God, I'm those guys. <laughs> well, that's, that's, but that's what I'm saying is that it's having it's it's undermining its own point by like because it wants to condemn those guys. Right. right? It wants so to don't condemn. turn me into one against my will. Like I'm on your side, movie. I don't want, you know. No, this that's, okay. That's no, I like this. I like this theory. That kind of delights me that a lot of men were watching it, feeling really uncomfortable and identifying a little too much with the men in it. Like that's that's kind of genius. I love that. that, that I, I think what Jeff well. is saying yeah. is this is entrapment, uh, <laughs> and it would be great if uh, the movie didn't invite you uh, or per- perhaps in some ways, quote unquote, force you to be one of those men. But um, you're the one that went into a sexy thriller about lesbian lovers. I mean, <laughs> right. you knew what you were getting into. All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, on that note, I think we can wrap things up. Uh, but, yeah, that's our review of The Handmaiden. Angie Han, thanks so much for joining us as usual. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com. All right. And uh, I think you're also on Twitter as well. Uh, Twitter.com slash AJ Han, right? Yes, that's right. All right. Check Angie's work out there. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Uh, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you guys next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming up.